loved Joyce just mentioning uh, the enemy brings our shortcomings before our eyes, our sin before our eyes to devastate us, to crush us, to bury us under the weight of it. And the Lord brings those things to our eyes to give us freedom, to, to set us free, uh, to take hold of what he has for us, to take hold uh, of him. And, and so one of the things that we see in culture is this massively polarizing, massively skeptical, critical, attacking, devouring, consuming um, uh, mindset. And so maybe you've had someone that you looked up to. It could be uh, someone in the church world. We've seen plenty of pastors with very prominent, uh, well-known national, international ministries and through some sort of really unfortunate set of some set of circumstances, things come crashing down. It could be uh, a favorite actor or actress. It could be an athlete and an author or something is discovered about this person and we burn their books and we stop listening to them and we turn off the podcast and we think, oh, what a shame. And, and then you just see people like sharks to blood move in and just devour this person, uh, just burying, heaping weight on, on this on this person. And so somehow the people of God, somehow churches all across the country and all across the world have got to be places where, where people walk in and feel free. Where people walk in and feel welcome to be here with wires still exposed that are not yet uh, mended. And, and so as we walk through this Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're still there this morning. As we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in, in chapter 5 has said, pay attention to your interior life. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you because the types of people that are blessed in the kingdom of God are peacemakers, are those who are meek, are those who are pure in heart, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not those who have uh, career, great careers or great wealth or well-behaved kids, um, but pay attention into your interior life. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart. And he moves rather quickly to pay attention, be concerned with the influence you have because he's called his people salt and light, which means they have a really significant purpose summarized well in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we see quickly early in Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that our lives are not ultimately all about us and that's probably enough for us this morning just to consider the weight of what does it mean that my life is not all about me and that I have a purpose that is bigger than myself that I've been invited into an opportunity to play a part of something really really significant and so Jesus says pay attention to your interior life be concerned about that it's important pay attention to your influence be concerned about that it's important he goes on to say pay attention to your motives Pay attention to your motives. Be concerned about your motives. Write actions for the wrong reasons. Build our kingdoms, not his. So he says, pay attention to your motives. And then last week, Jesus sort of pivots a bit and moves from this, be concerned, pay attention. And now he flips and he says, here's some things to stop paying attention to or to pay less attention to. Here's some things that if you preoccupy yourself, if you fixate on them, they will eat you alive, one of which was money, wealth, possessions, accumulating things. Ricky preached on that, storing up treasures on earth. Second, he talked about things that you need, what you will wear, what you will eat, the ordinary concerns of our day. 
Ricky spoke well to that, that anxiety will consume us. Many of you are there, uh, even this morning. And so Jesus says, be concerned, be concerned, be concerned, and then stop being so concerned about what you will eat, what you will wear, what you have. Don't you have a heavenly Father in heaven who knows what you need and has power over all things? If that's true, you're not in charge and you don't have to freak out. If that's true, you're not in charge and you don't have to freak out. Jesus continues a uh, very similar line of thinking. Stop being concerned. Stop being preoccupied. Stop being fixated. Stop obsessing over, Matthew chapter 7, other people's sins. Now, I know we have nobody in here who has ever judged anybody else. Nobody in here who has ever looked over someone else and said, well, they're here on Sunday. Hmm. Nobody has ever said, as they've watched someone's kids running through the lobby, what, their kids? Some parent. Nobody here has done that, but it happens at other churches, and so we should talk about it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Um, how do we be a place where we are safe, welcoming, warm, not like the enemy who tries to bury and crush, but like the Lord who builds and gives life. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read the first two verses together, and then we'll read 3 through 6 a few minutes later. Uh, The first point this morning is is that the gospel really compels us to be more concerned with mercy, more concerned, generous with mercy, quick with mercy, uh, than judgment. Matthew 7, 1 and 2. It says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So Jesus says, don't judge, or you will be judged. Your attitude, your posture, your heart, your reason for judging, the way that you go about it, the standard that you use to point the finger down at someone else, that standard will be used for you. Jesus says. I want to talk about mercy for a second. If you have your Bibles, flip forward a few pages to Ephesians 2. Uh, We'll read verses uh, 1 through 5 together. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Some neat things here uh, about mercy. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Uh, what is this mercy thing all about? Where does it come from? It's a nice word. We like it. It, it fits with Christmas and all, and all those sorts of things. Uh, what does it mean that the gospel compels us to be more concerned with mercy than judgment? And why, that might, why, that, why might that be something uh, for each of us today? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses. Dead. Okay? Not spiritually sick. Not on life support, not six days into a coma with a good chance to come out, dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, that's a big line too, just like everybody else, right? Just like the rest of the world. Sometimes we forget where we came from. Sometimes we forget who we were before we met Jesus. Sometimes we forget the pain that we caused, the decisions that we made, the hurt that we inflicted upon others. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So there's a spiritual component, not just disobedient and obstinate, but we were aligned against enemies with God. 
It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, here it is, children of wrath. Children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, one of the most important but gods in all the Bible, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God being rich in mercy. So we were dead in our trespasses. We had no hope of being restored to God. We deserve to be separated from God forever and ever and ever in this, in this life and for eternity after it. Doomed, destined for no hope, no joy. Destined to be enslaved to sin. Not just stuck in the mud periodically, but handcuffed, shackled, enslaved to it. It controls us, our, our urges, our impulses, our desires, having power having an enslaving power over us not being able to do the good that we might want to do enslaved to do the bad that we don't want to do it says even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ even when we were dead in our trespasses when we had nothing to offer him no chips like nobody walked in with a wallet put it on the table and said all right god let's make a deal we had nothing no promise of if you do this for me, God, then I'll do this for you uh, later. I just had a hard time getting number three into children's ministry. I said, if you go back there, you can have tablet time. If you go back there, we'll watch a show this afternoon. If you go back there, I will buy you a car. Just go back there. None of us have anything to come to God and to say, God, you do your part, and then, well, you know, I'll show up, and you're going to be impressed by what happens. We have we do nothing. Our, our wallets are empty, right? No credit in the bank. Um, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If all that is true, how can we possibly be people quick to judgment and slow to mercy? If that has been done for us, how can our lives not be defined by a generous, an abundant, a lavish, an overflow of mercy, where our predisposition is to believe good about people. Our predisposition is to give people a second chance. Our predisposition is to say, if that looks suspect to me, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe the best about you. It doesn't mean I'm naive or ignorant or ignore what I see, but my posture is mercy. How can that not be our posture if Ephesians 2 is true, if that's what been, has been done for us? And so, as Jesus talks about don't judge, lest you be judged, focusing on the attitude of judgment, this hyper-rigid, hyper-critical attitude, saying that's what will be applied to you if you judge others uh, this way. He's speaking to an audience who was very familiar with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, speaking to an audience very aware that the religious leaders of the day did what uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew 23, where they heaped burdens on people. So you didn't walk into their presence like Joyce talked about and felt free. You walked into their presence and you were reminded all of the ways you don't measure up, all of the things that they know that you don't, all of the things that they do that you don't, not just they were righteous in God's eyes. They added bazillions of other laws to things. So not only did you not meet expectations, you didn't meet their expectations. They added burden. And Matthew 23, Jesus says, they shut the door of heaven in people's faces. They didn't enter and they kept 
others from entering as well. Some of you know people like that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. No pointing, please. Um, But some of you know people for whom you can't be yourself around them because you know their eyes are on you and they're going to criticize everything you say and do. I had a boss one time uh, who was like this and he was an English major for UCLA, from UCLA. So every time I sent an email, I would get an email back and he would criticize my punctuation or the number of prepositions in my email. And I really didn't know what punctuation or prepositions even were. I knew I did them too much took me hours to send emails. I was always second-guessing myself. It wasn't free at all. I couldn't be myself at all because I knew no matter what, no matter how hard I tried, it wasn't good enough and I would never measure up. And so that's kind of what uh, we get in the world, the expectation that we'll be perfect and we'll never fail and nothing will ever go poorly. But that's not the expectation that Jesus has for us. And he says that's not the expectation. And that's not the way the church ought to posture itself uh, towards one another. So Jesus says, be merciful. Be quick to mercy. Mercy has been given to you. Slow to judgment. And complete flipping upside down of what Jesus' audience would have experienced with their culture, not dissimilar from what we experience with our culture where there's no margin of error. If a politician, heaven forbid, did or said anything wrong in the last 80 years, it will be held against them and people would like to see them run out of the country. And so it is with uh, many leaders and public figures. We're just quick to crush, quick to crucify, um, quick to step down, to elevate ourselves. And so um, we might ask the question, how do we show mercy? And you can probably fill in the holes there much better than I can because you might have circumstances and people in mind about what it looks like to show mercy to those people in your life. A few things that I felt like the Lord kind of put on my heart this week about what mercy looks like uh, from Scripture. One, uh, for me, might mean giving uh, time and attention to people that others might say aren't worth it. I just was reminded about how Jesus went to Nicodemus, someone who took advantage of his fellow countrymen for personal gain. Some of you have known someone who's been a part of a Ponzi scheme, or some of you have gotten some of those phone calls, uh, and you called back, and somehow they got your bank account and your ID, and you hate that person with a fire that cannot be quenched. Um, But that's kind of what Nicodemus was, and Jesus doesn't let Nicodemus pass keep him from presenting Nicodemus with what God could do uh, for his future. Incredible act of mercy. Sometimes it means giving our best time and attention to people that we might not want to or others might say aren't worth it. Um, Another story that kind of came to mind was the woman caught in in adultery. And, And so mercy for us might look like going to someone at their low point in life might look like going to someone who is stuck in their sin even before they turn out of it, even if they don't turn out of it. Remember the story of Jesus. There's the woman, she's caught in adultery. The text is pretty explicit that by caught, it was clearly she was the one. There there was no fact-finding needed. They found her. She was guilty. She's about to get stoned. Jesus says, let him who uh, hasn't sinned throw the first stone. Uh, and, and they all walk away, and Jesus doesn't let even the sin that presently ensnares her keep him from going to her and presenting God's better future for her. Sometimes uh, mercy means giving our time and attention to maybe people that others might not deem worth it. Sometimes giving 
Being merciful means going to people at their low point in their sin. Um, one more that, that uh, was kind of impressed upon me this week is it might be giving space for other people to worship the Lord in a way that is different from how I might, we might, you might um, to express that different, to follow him different. Sometimes we, we have this sense that this is a passion that God has given me and everyone else ought to be on it too. Not, not necessarily. This is something that I think all Christians would do. Well, not necessarily. God has sent us to different fields, different occupations, different careers, different neighborhoods. We all have a part to play. All of our parts kind of look a little bit different. Sometimes we don't give each other freedom to express that differently. Sometimes we think if you're not involved with this, well, you're a junior varsity Christian. You're not, you're not like me. You know, sorry. Uh, we, we see it uh, all the time with uh, kids. I've mentioned to you that, that we've chosen to homeschool. And the place where I grew up, that was a really weird thing to do. Um, but it's not that way here. And it's something that has worked for us. And we're not committed to doing it forever. We try to reevaluate what we're doing with our kids every year, every semester. And sometimes it happens monthly or weekly. But there's pressure to put kids in, in public school. Why would you take the Christians out of the public school? That doesn't make any sense. There's pressure to homeschool. Why would you send a Christian kid to a public school? That doesn't make sense. There's spectrums all over the place. How do we give each other space to follow the Lord in the way that he has led without putting our restrictions or our expectations outside of his word uh, on other people? And so that kind of leads us to this question of, well, what does it mean to judge? When do we do that? Can we do that? Are we never to do that? Maybe sometimes do that? You'd be surprised how much scripture talks about judging. Romans 2 is a great place. Ephesians 2 is a great place. 1 Corinthians 5 is a great place. Here, Matthew 7, where we're at this morning, uh, is a great place. So let's try to answer maybe a few of those questions of, is it okay for Christians ever to judge? Is it okay for Christians ever to point the finger and say, hey, that looks like sin. What can we do about that? Is that something we can, can't, should, shouldn't, sometimes, maybe, always? What does Scripture say? First thing that Scripture says from 1 Corinthians 5, back a page, is that it is our job to help others, to help others in this room. Uh, and our focus is really those people who are part of the family of faith. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 12 and 13. If you have your Bibles open and, and want to see if I'm lying or not. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 says this. With Paul, for what have I, Paul says, to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13a, God judges those on the outside. And so the sense we get here from Paul is he's got a calling to build the church. He's got a calling to help build it up. And part of that means helping others identify, articulate, and address sin in their life that is destructive to them and destructive to the body. And that's a normal part of a healthy, functioning body. Many of you have families where difficulty or past offenses are never brought up. How is it that we think that that is the ideal situation? Some of us want like diplomatic spiritual immunity. No one can ever disagree with us. No one can ever have a different opinion. No one can ever say that was wrong. Um, There is no diplomatic spiritual immunity in the family of God. We have a part to play in building each other up. Sometimes that includes saying this isn't right and we need to address it. Paul focuses on those inside the family of faith and says, let God judge those outside. Uh, Second principle 
from Matthew 18, if someone has sinned against you here in, in the body, the expectation that Jesus lays out is that you will go to that person yourself uh, and bring that sin to that person. And so that's a really significant thing because what it doesn't mean is send a prayer request out to 80 people saying, this person has committed this egregious tra- tragedy against me. Here's 50 things that they've done. They're really an awful person. By the way, would you pray for me so that I can go and help bring the sin to my brother or sister's face? It's, it's, not, it's not what it says. It doesn't mean getting wisdom or consulting others. It doesn't have its place and isn't useful. The expectation is that you would go to that person yourself. If we care about individually each other, and our mission uh, together, uh, we would not ignore those sorts of things uh, in our midst. Uh, third, uh, I don't know, I call this the, uh, the no-doubter principle, um, but multiple places in Scripture we see, 1 Corinthians uh, 5.4 and John 7, uh, we see evidence of Paul and Jesus basically saying hidden things of the heart are God's to judge. It's not my job to judge your motives, why you did something, why you said something. It's not my job to try to read between the lines and say, ah, was that kind of passive aggressive? Was that sarcastic? Was that a dry sense of humor? Did they mean it exactly what they said? It's not my job to try to read in between the lines and then judge accordingly. That's where that giving your brother or your sister the benefit of the doubt comes into play. Uh, In John 7, the Pharisees watch Jesus. He heals on the Sabbath. They go, how dare you? And Jesus says, how dare you judge wrongly? You only see what's on the outside. You can read more uh, in Romans 2 where uh, the ability of God, the perfect judge to weigh a man's heart is contrasted with the very imperfect way that we often judge each other with our very small vantage point, our very slow grace um, judge based on something that we've heard or seen or secondhand or thirdhand. And so uh, that stuff that lives, that those offenses, those transgressions that live in that gray area um, are, are really God's to judge. And so we don't have to take on this pressure of being spiritual private eyes. Where we follow, follow each other around and, well, I saw them go to the movies and then after the movies, here's where they went and they, they did that. Pretty much if you add that all together, they're horrible people. Um, that, that's not how God has postured the body to, to function. Then we leave that stuff to him. Uh, but if someone has committed an offense against you, that the expectation would be that we would go to that person ourselves, because it's good for that person and it's good for um, the body. In Matthew 18, it actually says that if they listen to you, you have won that brother or sister over. You have helped them return back to the fold, and it's good for you, it's good for them, and it's good for us. The first point this morning, the gospel compels us to be more concerned with mercy uh, than with judgment. The second point is God's, the gospel compels us to be more concerned with our sin, with what I've done wrong, with the darkness in my heart, than with each other's sin, uh, each other's uh, actions. So let's read the rest of Matthew 7, uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and then we'll we'll kind of work through that a bit. Uh, Starting in verse 3. Jesus says, why do you see the speck 
small speck. Sawdust is used in other translations. Why do you see the small speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye while there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I promise I will try to come back to verse chapter 6 and say, what dogs, pearls, swine, how how does that fit here? Kind of catches you off guard uh, just a bit. But do you see Jesus using um, a a board, a piece of wood, things made from the the same thing, uh, one in my eye, the log, the other, the small deck of small speck of sawdust in another to draw attention to this, this weird thing that seems to be true of, of the human race in which profound ignorance of oneself is so often accompanied by a profound arrogance, uh, the arrogant presumption that we know about others, about their motives, about what they do, uh, especially about their faults, and even more so as it relates to sin in our own heart that maybe we see in others. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hand again. This would be an awkward moment for that. But um, many of you have things right now that just are royally ticking you off about someone else. Um, and often other people's sin that bothers us, especially bad, is a pretty useful mirror to show us that there's something in our own hearts that is rotten also. And so um, I'll point the finger at myself because that's, I think, a little bit more comfortable up here than pointing it at you. Um, and I'd like you to come back at some point. But uh, uh, for me, one of the things that has been an issue in, in the past or present, uh, a, something, a sin that I might have the disposition towards, would be to care an unnecessary amount too much about what other people uh, might think of me. And so when I see what I think is that in other people, it makes me bristle right away, and I don't like it, and I want to be away from it, and I want to point my finger at it and say I would never do that, but that person, that person, right? Uh, Puff myself up, uh, put the other person down. And so one of the ways that I see that play out is uh, on social media, if I see someone do what I think is uh, self-glorifying, self-promoting. Look at how perfect my life is. My kids always obey. They were potty trained. They came out of the womb potty trained and sleeping through the night perfectly. They did both of those things at day one because I'm such a great parent. Um, maybe the kids got into a great school or a great job, a happy little family. Uh, that all looks just wonderful. Uh, every day I get a promotion and a raise at work. I'm such a wonderful, wonderful person, and all my kids love me, and they can't stop telling me how much they love me. And when I see that, it grosses me out. It's disgusting, and I think, wow, insecure much? Wow, I want everyone to look at you? And immediately my predisposition is to judge their heart as someone who's trying to make themselves look good to the rest of the all-important uh, social media world. Uh, and the thing is, is that might not be their intention at all, but it's a sin in my heart that I project uh, upon them. Uh, and, and there's a thousand reasons why someone might do put, put millions of pictures uh, online. Some of you have moved 
a lot. You've been in the military. You've got friends and family all over the country, all over the world. Social media is the only way for you to have people see what's going on in your life and participate in theirs. Uh, and so you, you flood it with pictures. And here I am judging you. I'm not, by the way. I'm only thinking of people from our previous life in California. I am thinking of nobody here in Roseburg. Um, we uh, are spot on in all things. Um, some of you have family that's far away. And so by putting those pictures online, you allow family to get to see what's in your life. And you don't even have to call, which is maybe a bonus for you, maybe not. I don't know. But you have a totally different reason. Some of you do home-based businesses, and so you, you want to put your home-based business out there, and it's exciting to let people know what's happening with that home-based business, and it's advertising, and people say, hey, what are you doing with that home-based business? How is that going? And so that's your way of communicating. There's a thousand different reasons why we do things. How arrogant of me to assume I know your heart. How arrogant of me to think that my struggle is your struggle. And how arrogant of me to make that judgment, to build myself up and to put you down. And and we just do this in a thousand ways, day in and day out. Uh, Jesus says, don't judge. By whatever measure you judge others, you will be measured He says, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see more clearly to be useful. In other words, if you want to be useful to your brother and sister in any way, shape, or form, if you want to in some way be useful at helping others identify, articulate, and address sin in their life, then first identify, articulate, and address sin in your own life. How do you know how to give grace if you have not received grace? How do you receive grace if you have not taken your sin before the Father? How do you develop and tune spiritual ears, spiritual eyes to see sin and call it what it is by seeing it first in your own heart and life. A couple ways that I think this is uh, maybe common uh, for us where we find ourselves judging each other's spiritual journey, totally blind to the log in our own eye. I think about Jesus uh, coming to uh, meet Mary and Martha. Some of you are familiar with the story. The text says Martha was preoccupied, distracted, fixated, focused, whatever word you want to use. Martha was preoccupied with preparations. Mary was not. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Eventually, Martha's unhealthy preoccupation eventually Martha focusing on the wrong thing came up to the surface and she can't take it anymore and you can see the steam building and maybe this has happened in your own home and it's hitting close to home and if it is I apologize Martha comes to Jesus and says Jesus and she's probably biting her teeth would you tell my bum sister who by the way hasn't done anything for the last 45 minutes other than sit there and do nothing and eat the food that I made on the plates that I washed thank you Mary Some of you have done that. Sorry. (laughs) And what does Jesus say? Martha, you're right. Mary, did you go and help your sister? Oh, Martha. Mary has chosen what was better. So we have Martha judging Mary based on what she thinks Mary should be doing. Anyone ever been there? You ever judged someone based on what you think they should be doing that they're not? And grow resentful? while you honor the Lord by doing the right thing? I haven't either, so let's move on. (laughs) How about um, Jesus on the road 
and the blind man. You remember what Jesus' followers say when they see this blind man? These really holy and mature followers of Jesus. I mean, they've been with Jesus for a while. They really get him. What do they do when they see the man who's born blind on the road? Hey, Jesus, what did he do? <laughs> he must have really blown it. What did he do? By the way, you, you know you're in trouble when you start asking for details. Is that just like a, a, a dead giveaway that you're in trouble already when you, when you want to know all the juicy details? Hey, Jesus, what did he do? Come on. It must have been a good one. Is it his fault? Did he do something? Or maybe it's really juicy. Maybe it was his parents. Mm, huh? Come on, Jesus. You know, they don't have grocery stores with gossip all over the checkout aisles. This is how they get it. Jesus, who was it? This man or his parents? And, and what does Jesus say? I mean, you can imagine Jesus many times with his followers just kind of, oh gosh, I chose you. I chose you. Oh. He says, no, it was neither this man nor his parents. This has happened so that the works of God might be completed in him. Their assumption was that the bad things that happened to him were the result of his sin. Their assumption was he's making poor choices, so bad things are happening. How many of us, how many of you have seen maybe a marriage fall apart and you go, well, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, really didn't put the Lord first. It was all about career, all about kids, all about this. Not really surprised. How many of you have seen maybe uh, adult kids really turn away from the Lord in a tragic and horrible way? And one of the first things that came to your mind was, well, not totally surprised. They kind of made sports the whole thing. They kind of, how quick we are to judge um, what we think others should have done. Um, when things go poorly, how quick we are to assign blame and uh, fail to see the God story uh, in the midst of, of even even great uh, tragedy. And it's just a reminder to us that our predisposition often is to focus on other people's sin and not ours. Isn't it a lot easier to consider the way someone else is not measuring up than to address what is true uh, in your own heart. And quite honestly, it takes a lot of work to address what is true in, in your own heart. So it's a lot easier, right? Uh, addressing what, ha- is, what you see in others uh, doesn't lead to an awkward conversation, whereas when you understand your own sin, it almost always leads to an awkward conversation, some sort of confession, uh, some sort of, I'm sorry, I have let you down. Well, I didn't even know you let me down. Yeah, that's how good I am at letting you down. Judged you and you didn't even know it. Hypothetically. Uh, read Romans 2 um, when you get a second. Uh, as we think about our polarizing culture that just crushes the wounded, as we think about our polarizing culture uh, that just berates and destroys those with any uh, weakness, um, the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy tries to bury you with your shortcomings and your failings and your sin, and Jesus comes that we might have life and if he shows us these things it's to lead us his kindness is to lead us to repentance and so that has to be our posture uh, with others as well what do we want if we bring sin to a brother or a sister reconciliation what do we want forgiveness not to get the upper hand not to 
prove that we were once and for all right. Uh, some of you are uh, have, have big families, and so you have these siblings, and man, one of the things siblings do is always try to get ahead or always try to stuff the other one down as far as possible. We do it all the time. Uh, I've got the biggest receding hairline in my family, but my youngest brother has been bald for about six years. Do you think I ever see him where I don't mention that? Just do. I have to. I'm the oldest brother. It's my job. There's a profound uh, sense of humility embedded in this text where uh, often we ought to find ourselves deferring to what we don't know or deferring to what only God knows when we see the sins uh, of our brothers and sisters. And one aspect of this human limitation is found in in verse 6, and that's that really kind of strange verse that we would probably at first reading go, oh great, another verse that reminds me why... This makes no sense. I'll reread it. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. A picture that might help this make more sense is Jesus sending out the 72 followers uh, later uh, in the book, and he sends them out, and he says, go and knock on a door, and if you are received by a village, if you are received by a home, stay there, sleep there, eat their food, preach the kingdom of God is here as long as they receive you, if they slam the door in your face, if they want nothing to do with your message, if they reject you and say, get out, don't pound on the door, berating, uh, pestering, uh, badgering, are not part of the Christian's tool belt. He says, move on to the next place. And so we see here, if we are going to be people who take the plank out of our own eye, we are going to become more useful to each other. We will have tender hearts that want reconciliation, not condemnation. We will be, we will learn to bring things to people in a way that is marked by love and mercy, not uh, judgment. And when you do that, recognize the limitation that you cannot make someone you're bringing an offense to respond the way that you want to. And it's not your job to to begin with. And so Jesus says, there is a limitation. Be faithful. But if they repeatedly reject your attempts, move on. And so the point here is not to say, if you at one time kind of sort of tried to maybe bring an offense to a brother or a sister, and they didn't immediately just receive it with open arms and give you the biggest hug saying, wow, God bless you for bringing this error to my ways. Um, the, the point is not to say you get to write them off, cut them out of your life, and move on. But the point is to say there is a point if your efforts are repeatedly rejected uh, to move on. Sometimes we have this hero complex. We think if I just keep at it, I can make this. I can, I can turn this around. If I just keep at it by my power, if I just keep at it. I know other people have tried and failed, but they're not me. If I keep at and and. We're about the Father's business, but ultimately it's his business. Uh, as we wrap up this morning, it's, it's just a, kind of a few thoughts, uh, and we'll have our prayer team up front, and I think it's a really fitting morning to have a, a prayer team up here during the last song. After the last song, I would just encourage you to, to maybe bring whatever the Lord has put on your heart to those people. But for some of you, what needs to happen is a confession of some sort to someone you 
you have had this hypercritical posture towards, that you have been slow to mercy, quick to judgment. You have been slow to understand from their circumstances, slow to understand that their context has played a part in this. And you haven't, you don't know all of those details. I think about Joyce sharing some of the difficulties prior to what she would describe as her unmasking. And so maybe if you saw her prior to that, you might not understand why maybe she said something that she said or did something that she did. But then when you get more of the story, you go, oh, that, that makes perfect sense and your heart is warmed, your affection is drawn, your desire to help is, um, is, is a natural overflow of that. Uh, some of us need to go to someone and confess. Some of us need to get that plank out of our eye. Our judgment is massively skewed, um, and somehow we always end up focusing on someone else's shortcomings. Some of us need to figure out today what is that plank and ask for help getting that plank out of our own eyes so that we can be useful to each other. Some of you, uh, not any of you, but hypothetically some of you um, might maybe need to consider uh, that maybe in this text today that the swine or the dogs uh, are maybe more where you relate to, where someone has tried to bring something to you and you've been unwilling to hear it. Someone has tried to do this the best way they could. It was not perfect, but they tried and you've been unwilling to hear it. God, help us from being uh, the dogs or the swine that reject um, the pearls of someone who loves us enough to bring a confrontation to us. That is an incredible, loving, difficult thing to do. In general, most people will not do that, but with an enormous amount of prayer and thought. There's a few that fall outside the bounds, and and generally we know to stay clear of them anyway, so I don't think we need to speak to that. Uh, At the end of the day, our mission is just way too big. If Matthew 5.16 is true, if our job is to let our light shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, then our mission is way too big to be preoccupied, to be obsessing with other people's sin. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we we commit all these things to you. We confess that we need your spirit to show us that plank uh, because we've got massive blind spots, massive blind spots, Lord. And and so uh, would you show us those? Would you put people in our life to show us those? Lord, even this week in the circumstances and in the relationships and the rhythms that we find ourselves in, may you use people and circumstances by your spirit to show us those blind spots that we might remove the plank that is in our eye so that We are a pure reflection of Jesus, and we can be more useful to each other. Lord, may we be a church that gathers together, uh, that clusters together in men's and women's and home groups and in all of these places to be the body, a healthy, functioning body. Lord, and part of that is learning to help correct each other uh, with a loving posture. So, So help that be true here. Lord, may we take steps this week. Uh, to confess our sin, to get the plank out of our own eye, Lord, so that our light truly would shine and that others would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.